Hey everyone, welcome to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. Thank you for listening in on another journey across the podcast airwaves. Uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, this episode is a little boring. I've got two individuals who are very dull and don't really know how to tell stories. So I hope you enjoy. <laughs> what the fuck am I talking about? I've got two great individuals sharing two different perspectives on one race that just happened. These guys are badass. They're friends of mine. And I have been waiting to get both of them on at the same time. And this was the best opportunity. So they're going to share their stories, their perspectives on a race that just finished up this past weekend. We're going to hear all about it. You've seen it on social media. And for your listening pleasure, welcome back to The Trail Life. Justin True and Hector Rodriguez. The Trail Life Podcast is presented by Solomon. For 75 years, their passion for outdoor sports, new technologies, and craftsmanship have driven them and still do to create progressive gear to enable you to freely enjoy and challenge yourself in the great outdoors. Today, Solomon has an incredible lineup of road and trail running footwear and hydration gear, perfect for any runner on any terrain, no matter the challenge. Check them out today at your local running stores like Runner's Roost or Jack's Outdoor Gear or on Solomon.com. Help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. I don't wanna hurt nobody. Well, I don't wanna fight. Well, offer me the peace of mind and let me. All right, fellas, finally. Finally, I had I found a way to get the two of you on the show at the same time. And it it took you going up to Montana and doing a <laughs> badass race to do this. So thank you for uh, both being here. And, and it sucks because Justin, you're now in San Diego for a couple of days. Hector's finally back for a little bit, but me, I'm fucking in Colorado. We could have done this in person. <laughs> this kind of sucks. <laughs> Definitely. So, next time. Next time in person. Next time. Next time the two of you guys can get on at the same time, we're doing this in person for sure. So, yeah. Um, you know, I, I brought you guys on because I wanted to talk about the race you just did and just finished. I thought it was a great opportunity to, as it's fresh in your minds, to kind of, you know, let the listeners kind of hear like the experiences. Cause, it, you know, for anybody who follows either one of you on social media, we kind of saw some of the, the interesting pieces of, of the, race itself like the course and and what they had to train you for maybe i guess that i from what i saw so i i kind of want to get into that but let's let's talk about first the the race itself um it's called the mighty and i'm gonna say i hope i don't say this wrong the mighty galatin 350 galatin is that right Gallatin. God, I had, I was a 50, 50 shot, man. I messed it up. <laughs> um, so it's a mighty Gallatin 350 and it's a, is it invitation only? Is that right? Mm-hmm. How did uh, you guys end up getting the invite? Was there, do you guys know somebody, know the race director? Like, how's that, how's the connection there? And, and uh, what was kind of your thought process moving into it? Because I know both of your quote, I don't say this lightly, Justin, trainings were <laughs> different <laughs> um, for it. So kind of explain the the race uh, to the listener first, before we get into more of the details of it. Uh, I think I was brought into it first and then, uh, and then it was Justin, but it's definitely not a race. Um, United States Forest Service made sure that we were clear on that because if it was a race, it was not allowed. But if it was a challenge or a run or an adventure okay. with a minimal headcount, 
then we could have the okay to go out there, run in the mountains. And we had a, a, f- a film team basically capture it. So kind of everything that we're talking through at some point, we should be able to share, you know, via YouTube or, or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, during the triple crown, there was uh, someone who I think would be a great guest for the show. Uh, his name is Helgi. So while I was going through my triple crown journey, he was also going through the triple crown, but he had put a twist on it, which was uh, once it got going, not only did he do the three 260 days, but he cycled in between. So he ended up doing like over 2,800 human powered miles between cycling and, and finishing the triple crown, wow. all while uh, raising it for a good cost. So um, while I was you know, going through the races, I would hear people saying, Hey, you know, there's Helgi, he's, you know, doing this and doing that. And so I was hearing his name and we had definitely similar paces where we would see each other a lot of course. So by the time we got to Moab, uh, we went to lunch, hit it off, hung out a couple of times, hung out after the race. And I think within like a week of completing the Moab 240, he hit me up and he said, Hey, I have this idea. I want to get a group and I want to go and see if we can go hit 350 miles in Montana. Okay. And so when I heard that, I was like, he was like, you in? And I'm like, definitely, man, let's do it. So uh, that's how I got involved. I'm assuming, and I'll let Justin say, you know, how he got involved, but I would assume it was, you know, through me uh, and then him seeing Justin's challenge and then extending an invitation. Is that, is that right, Justin? Yeah. Yeah. That's spot on. Um, I had heard about it over maybe the course of like six or eight months and everybody's getting invites and I'm like, Oh man, like I'm not getting an invite, but I realized that like, I don't have the resume that everybody else does. And I have to like humble myself and realize like I'm not in this category of like elite runners. Like all these guys have like worked for this, you know, work for this goal. You know, they've all done the triple crown. They're all veterans of the two hundreds. Like it was a pretty big honor to be able to get that invite. And I got it about the last day of my cycle across the country. I woke up to a text from Helgi saying that I think I've earned the, earned the rights to (laughs) to do it. I was like, I still haven't ran yet. So that, that got me through a lot of the miles on my own run during the triathlon was that I at least need to prove that I can get 351 miles, um, to at least be worthy of this. So yeah, that's for my yeah. invitation. So this is the first year he ever did it. So he was kind of just shooting from the hip as far as what's going on with it. I, I've dealt with the forest service before Hector. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You cannot have technically a race of some sort. It has to be the lower level term, like challenge or adventure, whatever it is, because they, they look at that a little bit and BLM is the same way. Like you working with BLM and forest service is just a pain in the ass. So I can only imagine it was, was this on forest service, the entire stretch. No, uh, not, I don't believe so. I believe we kind of at different times crossed into, was it the Lee Metcalf wilderness, Justin? Yep. Yeah. So at different times we, we cross into there, which was fine. Um, we had, like I mentioned, a film team kind of following along and, and capturing the journey. Um, and that's where they would have to stop. So 
you know, so we definitely knew all, all of those areas um, yeah. because we knew when that's when the film team would have to drop off and, and we were, you know, on our own as athletes. What interests me moving into this event for, for both of you, and it, it's, there's different levels here. Hector, anybody who, you know, talks to you, you know, either in San Diego or anywhere else knows that you've been kind of off and on with, with your running because your plantar fasciitis issues. And then obviously, Justin, you're, you're still dealing with, a little foot fracture and you not even weren't even on full land for the most part. You were on a ship for like what, two months, something like that. So it was, a, it was, a, I've been off the triathlon for 10 weeks. Yeah. And but you were on the, the you were on the ship, boat, right. In, in Costa Rica. For about four or five weeks of that. Yeah. So going into this, as far as training goes, like how are both of you feeling with both of your different types of injuries, like, and I'll, Justin, I want to start with you because yours is even deeper than the plantar fasciitis thing. Like, what's your mentality, you know, getting off the ship and trying to figure out like, do I run? Do I not run? How much do I run? Because I, I saw your Instagram and you were trying to a little bit, but you were only doing a couple, maybe a mile and a half at a time. So <laughs> what was your mentality heading into it? Yeah. Um, I guess my whole idea of like, taking training very lackadaisically was put to the furthest extent for this one. It was, it was less than what I'd ever wanted it to be, but, um, I had no choice over it. I couldn't run on the boat. So, uh, I just, I had to really just kind of put up or shut up. Um, so I just really doubled down on, I'm not training, I'm not doing anything and I'm just going to go run. I'm going to suck it up. But overall it was just the opportunity to be able to be out there with everybody was, you know, it's the inaugural year. Like Hector said, hopefully, you know, it's a learning experience from it and it grows and grows and grows into something incredible. Cause I believe there is something there. I mean, it was like a fast track course to the Montana wilderness, which is just incredibly beautiful. So that was my thought process going into it is I'm 10 weeks post triathlon, my foot, both feet are kind of messed up. My staff going into other races from here on out, my staff is going to kind of worry me because the more you get it, the easier it is to get and on and on and on. And it started popping up on day two and a half to day three to when it just mm-hmm. got kind of in there. And I started inspecting it and I'm like, I tried, you know, I tried to clean it up, but you know, as we'll probably go into, we didn't have much time for recreational activities of like setting up tents or making food or even cleaning ourselves. You had a very short window of time to do stuff and cleaning myself got put on the back burner as much as I knew that needed to be priority. And so my foot and the staff kind of just knocked me out after day three. And from there on out, like it was, it was a tough like pill to swallow for sure. Cause I expected more out of myself in the end, I get a like segue into helping Hector achieve his goal. I get a segue into talking to people at camp and just like enjoying both sides of it, which was absolutely beautiful. Like I couldn't have asked for a better outcome to take that time off too. Like if you would have tried to go out for runs at, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 20, 25 miles at a time, whatever it is. I mean, you wouldn't even have probably made it through the first day of, of this thing. Right. I mean, that's just my kind of mentality of it. Cause it's, it's not like the train is something you can find every day in that, in that regard. So, I mean, it, it was probably to your best bet that you didn't do any training leading up to it. Yeah, exactly. And that was my thought process was I can either train and be physically fit or cardiovascular fit, whatever you, however you want to put it. But my body is going to be extremely broken, even more so, or I just go into it without the lungs and without the cardio and without the strength, but at least my bones and ligaments are near as hundred percent as can be, you know? So that was my thought process as well as I'm just going to rest as much as possible and leave it up 
to my like kind of, you know, sheer will to push me as far as I can. And then Hector, how's, how are your feet feeling after everything? Cause you and I have had tons of conversations about, about our, both of our plantar fasciitis issues. So how, how are you, how are you doing? Yeah. Going into it, uh, th- there's a local spot here in San Diego called back in motion that I had been seeing probably, uh, maybe f- five, six weeks prior to Coco. Um, and then after Coco, I was consistently seeing him every week and he had me feeling better going into this event. And the way I was training was, uh, a lot of treadmill. Yeah. A lot of treadmill and a lot of like short runs, but a bunch of short runs throughout the day to get high mileage. Because if I went high mileage, then it would hurt. But if I went, you know, three, four, took a break, three, four, took a break, one, two, and kind of broke it up throughout the day, then uh, I was finding myself not in pain. So I got 145 miles in Cocodona and I was feeling better going into this. So I felt like I had a good shot of hopefully not having my feet wreck me too early um, in this one. So, (laughs) so yeah, that was kind of how I went about for, or at least how I went into this one. I don't know. It's kind of tough when you got this big, opportunity coming up and you can't put full full energy into it like you had with your triple crown or uh, everything else i mean it's mentally it's got to kind of play with you a little bit too as far as how how long am i going to be able to go before it starts to break down and that goes for both of you kind of yeah that that adds that little extra mental fuck if if you will like to like how your strategy has to be and and this is where i kind of want to segue into how this races set up because it's not set up anybody who's familiar with these longer distances these 200 miles and above there's not different campsites around this or not certain points like you guys said you pretty much had one spot you you would go in and out from but your timeline there was pretty short can you explain like what the setup was or what your quote-unquote campsite should have been so the way it was initially set up was the first day was so so the overall course or the overall challenge was 350 miles nearly 80k vert this was broken up uh into a big day one of like 62 miles maybe 10 to 12k vert and then each day after that was let's say 50 miles like or maybe let's say like 45 miles to 50 miles um, with maybe about 10 K to 12 K vert. And then all of this is like, I, I think we were in an altitude of like six to eight grand the whole time. Okay. So definitely knew this was going to be super gnarly. And then the way it was like set up was Justin probably rem- remembers better than me, but the, the, as far as the planning was like, uh, we would do like a loop and come back to a campsite, do like a loop, come back to a campsite the same one. And then the next day we would venture off to another campsite. So we would go like point to point and then a couple of days at that campsite. And then, um, I think we hit what, two or three campsites over the course of the seven days, Justin. Yeah. So day one, we took off from big sky, um, where we ended and we got, we segued our way to a place called Spanish Creek where we stayed for one night you know, pitched our tents, broke them down in the morning, took off. Um, we had a pretty gnarly climb that morning, you know, saw some stuff in the bushes, those eyes in the bushes. And, um, but say when, you know, fast forward into that, 
Um, our next campsite was uh, Hood Creek, where we stayed for two nights. And we were debating on making it a third night just because now we we're coming to the realization that nobody was finishing anything. And the time of the crew breaking down the, the aid station or like the kitchen, the tents, everything started to become too much. So we were planning on doing that a third night, but instead we skipped the next spot, which would have been a three hour drive. Like the crews had to drive an incredible amount of hours to get around these mountains, to the next aid station. So we did a shortcut and went to, um, castle, sand castle or something, right? Hector. Storm castle. No idea. <laughs> so the first night was uh, Hood, first night was Spanish Creek. Second and third night was Hood Creek, and then the fourth, fifth, and sixth was at uh, Storm Castle campground. So we didn't move as much as we were going to, just because we realized like this is taking a lot of time to break down and set up, and yeah. it became much more enjoyable for I, I emphasize much more enjoyable for the other side because Hector was still just in his cave. I think no, nothing was more enjoyable for him, but it was more enjoyable for the rest of the group to stay at one campground and, you know, come back to home base at the end of the day, everything be ready. And um, did you have to pack up your own stuff or was there, was it the event crew was helping out with that and had to drive your stuff from one point to the other, or you're packing up and hiking it or running it through to the next spot. What What's... So we were, we were in charge of packing up and breaking down our own stuff, uh, okay. but they would then throw it in the trucks and okay. shuttle. It. Okay. I was going to say to have you run that much with extra weight would even be even worse, but wow. Okay. Kind of confused on how, how is coming back to, so you end up being, it would be a loop for one section that you come back to the same deal. And then the next one would be a point to point. How much time did you end up getting? in each location at night, because I, if I understand it right, we'll get into this in a second, but you know, it's got a lot of wildlife out there. So they didn't want you out there at night too much. So what happens if somebody couldn't get back to the campsite or to the campsite by a certain point, like what's the process with that? And did you guys get caught in any of that? That's where um, the first kind of challenges were set was not being able to move through the night. So we had um, Brian, um, who to me is a vet of uh, like a medic and kind of knows what's safe and what's not. He's uh, He's been a part of the Destination Trail, like 200 events. So he was good for us to trust and rely on. Early on, we I had seen some of the paces and thought they were very aggressive, but it it there basically had to be no choice because of the mileage and the vert and not being able to go to the night. Like these times were super fast. I believe initially Helgi wanted this to be something like a Barclays, like where like it's okay if nobody finishes this. Yeah. And let's make this gnarly and let's make this like one of the toughest thing ever. And let's grab these, you know, uh, tenured middle of the pack, 200 milers. And let's see how far can someone go uh, and how close can they get? And uh, pretty quickly, um, I think everybody was maybe humbled is the right word on just what the terrain was like out there. We didn't yeah. have course markers. So, you know, we had to navigate ourselves. Uh, there wasn't much aid station. I think the first day was like 24, 28 miles, something like that. Um, so that means just more weight on your back. You're out there all day long. So the entire group uh, came in 
beyond the cutoff of it being safe for to continue on the next leg without jeopardizing going deep into the night. So right. in that first day, uh, everyone was shuttled back, you know, and, and I think that was when everybody realized that this thing is a monster. Yeah. I was kind of curious on that and how, cause if you're not, and I, I'm, this is why my point is because if I was watching social media and if anybody who didn't see it, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. First of all, Justin, I saw you running through a house with with a, a, <laughs> your, your spray and your knife. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And then I realized that there was another social post where they were actually doing training for this stuff. So explain explain that because that re that's really interesting to me because that feeds into this whole entire process of not, <laughs> not running at night. Right. And, and being safe with everything. So I explain that because did you guys know that that was going to be a part of it as far as the training aspect goes or, or the, some of the course breakdown? Cause I, I thought that was interesting. You can kind of see some of the people's faces on, on that social post where everybody's like, what the, <laughs> like, what the heck, you know, <laughs> trying to go through the training aspect of it. So basically, yeah, we, we all kind of knew there was worries, uh, in our mandatory kit list, there was bear spray. Like that was a strong, like you have to have this. There's no way you are leaving camp without this uh, bear spray. So we all were kitted up with bear spray and that was basically the bare minimum. I mean, there's really all you can do besides a gun. But then Hector and I had gone to, when we arrived, we'd gone to REI and Sportsman's Warehouse and decided to, you know, no pun intended, but like poke the bear and see like, hey, what size knife do I need to stop a bear? And they're like, you're not stopping a bear with a knife. <laughs> Hypothetically speaking, if I wanted to, and I think the big thing that hit was uh, in order to get past like a bear's like layer of fat and everything else and hit an organ, it was eight inches. So you got to carry at least something like a foot long to at least get to uh, an organ to st when you're okay. stabbing them, right? And uh, we just went on and on and on. And these guys kept just, they, they almost got worked up. And here we are kind of like laughing, like, Man, <laughs> this is really serious. Like this is no joke. There's, you know, first we address the issues of the bear. How do we stop a bear is I don't believe bear spray. Well, Hector knows how bad bear spray hurts in the eyes now. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have to get to that. Uh, but it's one to 2%. I feel like I can't say this now, uh, but it was, it's one to 2% capsaicin is the main ingredient in it. And that's like topical cream that people use on their skin. I'm like, is that going to scare a bear? Like, is that going to deter an angry bear? And they're like, not at all. The bear is agitated, <laughs> like just full of testosterone charging. You're done for. Uh, there's grizzlies, there's black bears, black bears aren't really that big of a worry. It's more so the grizzlies. Yeah. Uh, you have elk and moose, which people say to worry about more than that. Now we're sitting around the store and now you have other customers overhearing this and you have oh my two gosh. clearly do not look like we're from there probably because we're not wearing camo. <laughs> probably both have flip-flops on and yeah. you know, just <laughs> with the yeah, San Diego hat. With the San Diego hat and shorts and whatever. Yeah, you're yeah, I could see that. <laughs> and uh, they just, everybody starts getting worked up of, oh, we need this. Well, what about this? Like, well, not without a 357. And we're like, well, that's not happening. Um, just couldn't. And actually, we ended up doing this for like 20, 30 minutes talking to these guys uh, to where <laughs> I started walking over to the gun cabinet. And Hector's like, what are you doing? I was like, getting a gun, man. Like, this is our only way. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they definitely scared us or, or, or put fear yeah. or at least like kind of gave us a reality check when they were like they were like well i hope you're not going into this area because that's where that's like grizzly country 
And then I showed him on the map where we were going. He's like, you're in exactly grizzly country. And when we have like bad bears come into town or whatever, we take them back to where you're going. <laughs> like, and they look, <laughs> yeah, they looked at us like we were absolutely ridiculous to be in those mountains without a gun. It was, uh, it was like, yeah, it was, it was pretty gnarly. Yeah. So, so we did a, we did a short little training session, as you saw in the clips, uh, at the campgrounds kind of showing how to shoot the bear mace just in case, you know, and Oh, the best part was Hector best part was when they said that they have a bear simulator every year and they, you know, they have people with their bear mace ready and they had the bear start charging like on a mechanical bull type deal. And people die three times before they get the bear once with the mace. And I think at that point was like, like Hector said, a reality check, like, is this even like, is this worth it? Is this worth it? Right. I mean, like you said, there's black bear, grizzlies, moose, elk, wolves that are now out here, not Hector. And then mountain lions, like it was literally everything. It was everything you could possibly imagine. And definitely going through the first morning or, you know, later into like the sunset, um, later when Hector started getting up at 4 a.m. and walking even around the campsites when he was going at 4 a.m., like it was nerve wracking for me, for him to go. I'm like, man, like this guy is just like going, going, going into like the prime, you're at a campsite. Those are prime spots for black bears, you know, to come in. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely a big, big worry. And then us doing the training session in the hotel room was just for shits and gigs. But <laughs> 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 on the accuracy of that knife and that mace drop were money. So bear spray to the face, Hector. <laughs> Let's explain that just a little bit. <laughs> Got it. So the, uh, the final day, um, one of the crew had my bag or I had my bag in the back of a car and it had the bear spray. I had it up, uh, kind of on my left chest and somehow he grabbed it and ended up spraying, I think his hands and the car with the bear spray Oh God. and part of the spray got onto my trail pack. So he had told me that he did that. And like, I smelt it, but it wasn't like that bad. Um, and I still had like my miles to get. So I just was like, I was kind of, I was really loopy probably starting like day three or four where Justin ended up becoming like my brain. And, uh, I just grabbed the pack anyway. And I'm assuming once I put the pack on, like I, I touched it with my right hand and I think I got the bear spray on my finger and I was uh-huh. smelling it and it just was whatever. I was like dealing with it. And then once I finished and I sat and I was sitting down and I was waiting for everybody else to finish, we were kind of like in the middle of this, like the middle of this like little sh- shopping area where it was like this little village. Uh, I don't want to call it like a park, but like, this just little area where you could chill. I accidentally, I didn't. It, so like five, this was like five hours before when I had the vest. I ran through big we sky. 12 yeah. miles without him touching his eye. Yeah. yeah okay. So it was 12 miles. I just kind of totally forgot about it. And it must have still been on my fingers. And for some reason, I rubbed my eye. And as soon as I rubbed my eye, my whole right eye just started burning like a motherfucker. (laughs) Bad. And I was like, oh shit, I think I just put bear spray in my eye. So we were literally like within minutes of everybody finishing and I'm over there kind of freaking out because I just burned my eye. So thankfully Justin uh, got some water and laid me down and just was like (laughs) dumping water in my eye until it flushed out. So I definitely got to feel what what, uh, bear spray was like. 
I couldn't so, assume it's probably a little bit like pepper spray. I would assume I, just, it was exactly what I would assume pepper spray was like at the yeah. end to have it at the very end too. Like yeah. <laughs> at the end or even at the beginning, like if yeah, <laughs> that would either way, it sucks. It doesn't really matter, I guess, but exactly. Uh, well, let's talk about the course. You say the course or course. I say course loosely again, obviously the yeah. route, the route, um, as we'll put it. Yeah. I saw you guys were having a little bit of trouble as far as navigating. And I assume that, that they couldn't put any kind of markings up whatsoever. So how does like, what, what are you traversing here? Like I saw you on some, some dirt roads. I saw you guys going up and over some tree stumps and into the wilderness and everything else. Like, can I assume that it's pretty much just like, Hey, here's, here's your starting point. Here's your finishing point. Just get to it. Or are they trying to tell you like in some, in some roundabout way and where to go? And you just have to, you get kind of lost on that, on that route. Like, how does that work? This had to have been on day one, I believe. Right. Where we, where we got kind of turned around and the trail was like five feet from us. Yeah, it was day one. There was certain parts were pretty well navigated on Gaia uh, where you were kind of following the routes and everything. You weren't really too worried about it. Every now and then there'd be, some kind of misinterpretation of where the route was, or it was down a cliff, but this trail is like gone. Like there was that one where you dip down, it was our first downhill and yeah. had somebody not stopped me. I would have went right past it. A lot of people would have, um, because there's one little placard that would just say there's a trail here, but you just have, I guess it's just up to the, the athlete, to the runner, to be aware of, you know, the stuff that hell he put out, um, the, the doc that he put out over the whole entire event coming from myself who just did a self-made event, like the effort and everything he put into it was mind blowing. Like it was as detailed as it could be extremely impressive work that he did behind this. And, uh, there were some parts that probably should have been interpreted more as there's a wilderness area that we're in where Hector and I are now bushwhacking and we're going up over trees and stumps and going through things. And like, there's no way this can be the trail. We're moving less than a mile per hour and we're getting turned around and looking, well, this might be a trail. Then you get to it and it's not a trail. And then finally, after probably an hour or two of looking through this place, we turn to the left and there's a trail. And it's like, was that there the whole time? And then we talked to Helgi <laughs> after. Well, some of it was, uh, just GPS pinpointed so you could like find your way through because Gaia wouldn't find the route exactly. I'm like, that would have been extremely helpful <laughs> to, know in advance, to know, Hey, look within 10 feet of the line. And instead we're looking at Gaia and I'm like, I am on the line, man. Like there's no trail. So you just tried to navigate that as best as possible. And that was pretty worrisome thinking about if someone were to go into late into the night and have to deal with that, they wouldn't have solved that trail five feet away. So yeah. Luckily we were able to get through that and there wasn't much of it, but you know, just stuff to stay aware of. And, um, I think that was the day where there was a lot of, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of little bear calls and moose calls or something we ran into. Was there any point in time where it was outside of just the two of you? Because it was, I always just saw the two of you through social. Really, I didn't see really anybody else around you. Like how how much of a separation was it? And after you guys got done with that day, did you hear of any other, like other people kind of getting that same result? Like they were off the trail by 10 feet and they didn't, they couldn't find it, got turned around. Like it, was it a pretty, that was pretty common theme or was just you two knuckleheads being out on the, on the course and not knowing where to go? Yeah, no, it was kind of a common <laughs> theme. Uh, There's a couple people maybe like four or five of the group that I had heard the same thing yeah. and they 
relayed that back to me as like, hey, these places are just kind of roughly GPS in some points. So that kind of got relayed back through everybody. Other people did experience that, which is comforting. It wasn't just us being like dumb knuckleheads out there not knowing how to navigate. Yeah, we all kind of faced the same problems. Day one, um, we were both kind of in the back of the pack with about four or five other guys. And we were just enjoying our time taking it through like you know, as Hector said, like the cutoffs were aggressive. We knew they were aggressive. We didn't know how aggressive. And so day one, we were all as a group, uh, all as a team, all 15 to 20 people were having fun, still going after it, still getting after it, moving fast. And so it started encroaching around 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. We're like, dude, we're not going to make this. We have to book it. And yeah. the first group came in two hours after the cutoff. And we came in, we already knew we weren't going to make it. And we came in four or five hours after the cutoff, four hours after the cutoff. And, um, that kind of started us on day two is like, at that point, we just kind of both agreed, like, let's just do this as like our own thing to get as most miles about halfway through day two. And the other groups kind of stayed more so of just going through the trail. And if you get pulled, you get pulled, but obviously just different objectives there. As far as type of training the entire way, I mean, what are you, what, what are you guys kind of seeing? Are you doing like stream crossings and going up some rocky areas and stuff? Like what, what are you primarily seeing in this type of area? For me, I think I definitely had the most unique experience because uh, as I had mentioned, like I was already kind of calling out the aggressive paces uh, from my personal experience of seeing how long things take, uh, you know, 50 miles around a track is a lot different than 50 miles going up and down mountains. Once that day one happened, that's where I was like, I, I, I think I had like, you know, 37 something miles. I got a couple more, uh, before we headed back to the campsite, I asked Justin, I said, Hey, Justin, you know, this is like nine o'clock, you know, normally in the two hundreds, I don't even sleep the first day. It's 24 hours. So for me to go back to the campsite at nine o'clock, I was like, like, this is, uh, I need to get back out there is what I need to do. And so Justin was like, okay. So we actually just went down the road five miles and came back to get me to the 50. And so what ended up happening was I think the, the way this thing was pitched was, Hey, here's this group of tenured ultra runners going to try to take it to the next level. They're going to push as hard as they can. They're going to try to do the unfathomable, you know, the, the, the most difficult thing. They're going to hallucinate. They're going to dodge wildlife. Like it was like, to me, the ultimate like cave party. Yeah. And I think after everybody was humbled the first day, you know, I think they were okay. Most people were okay with going back to the campsite, regrouping and trying again the next day where I was like, this is too early for me. And I was expecting this to be more like the typical two hundreds and this to be that difficult. So we went back out and then I had already kind of been questionable questioning the course profile and times. So the second day, Again, like the projections I felt were aggressive. And after the first leg, again, like everybody was way behind. And so I made the decision that I wanted to, because I've, I've done, you know, 200 to 240 miles and I've done 30 to 46 K vert. My personal goal wasn't to go to socialize, wasn't to sightsee, uh, you know, to kind of do those things. My personal goal was like, how far can I go? So mm-hmm. I knew the vert was out of the question because I couldn't be in the forest at night. So what was the next best thing I could do to like test myself 
And it was like, well, go get the miles and get as close as you can. Once I kind of lost, I don't know, confidence or trust in the course profile, I started shifting to what I felt was a little bit more realistic. And it was insane in my eyes, looking back what I did, but I started. So I like the, so for the second example, like I did the mountain, we, you know, throughout the, the time, anytime I was in the mountains, there was rivers and there was stream crossings and going up and down. But as soon, so, so after that, like there would be times where I would jump on the regular force, but then pop out and then everyone else would go and, you know, do, let's say the 20 to maybe 35 mile section with the regular vert on course. And then, you know, let's say between Justin, keep me honest here, maybe four and seven, 8 PM, they would go back to the campsite. Is that about right? And then, and then, you know, then there would be like kind of the socialization, cracking beers, you know, having dinner, uh, talking about the day, preparing for the next and -hmm. then going to sleep. So, Again, like that's not what my expectation of this was. So I instead went and did what I could around the campsite, whether that was doing nasty 0.75 mile out and backs with Justin all day long in the campground because it was Mm -hmm. out of the forest and we could do that going into the night or going around a reservoir or going around like in the trails, like around the campground, like kind of behind on the other side. Uh, Day like four and five, there was like a two mile loop that I just kept going, going, going. And it was like, there's nothing in Montana that was flat. And even though like people might've thought it was flat, like every 50 mile a day was like almost 5k avert, even doing it the way that I was doing it. So I ended up having, so I was the only one who went that route where everyone else went like for the more scenic way, but I was so focused on trying to see how far I could get and see if I could get, you know, a new personal record and see how far I could push over the course of seven days. So I went, you know, that route, uh, which was different than everyone else. Yeah. Do you think, uh, and this is your own personal opinion here on this, but do you think it moving forward in the future, do you think him, you know, seeing that that's what it turned into, right. Is people got off the course at eight o'clock or whatever and went and socialized and had a beer and prepared for the next day. Do you feel like that is a route that he would go towards or proceed or, or try and make it. So it's kind of like what you were trying to do is do something like a little bit shorter distances at night where you can, it's a little bit more controlled setting, so to speak, because I feel like that if, if he wants to get it more towards like, and this is just an example because you threw it out there, like the Barclays stuff where, okay, you you have to be off, off of this certain course by a certain hour because of safety concerns, but this is the controlled area that we can stay in and, and do these type of things. I mean, do you, was that any kind of conversation with him afterwards that that might be a, the case you know, moving forward? I'll, I'll answer that. And then I'll give it to Justin. Cause he may know more information as he was like, kind of hanging around everybody. I know that he mentioned, um, so never, not one day that I'm tracking did not one person hit any of the cutoffs. And it, at some point he ended up modifying every day's, courses to make it manageable to get everybody back. Okay. Um, I think he eventually 
like at first he was trying to hold on to the, the true course. And then I think he realized like, mm-hmm. it's not feasible right. um, to answer your question. I, I think I heard him say that he would love to see like an elite field, you know, maybe like a Mike McKnight or a, a group of elite runners take a crack at this and see if they could do that original course. My personal thoughts is I don't think anybody could do it with not being able to go into the night. But, you know, who knows? Like maybe Mike McKnight can, and I would love to see him do it. But I don't know if you have any any more information on that, Justin. Um, I'm not too sure. No, I think, honestly, given everything, given all the factors, I don't think an elite, like you'd have to have some sort of extra support. Setting up your tents, like that sounds very like diva-ish and minimal, but it slowly chops away at it, you know, um, slowly chops away your recovery time. When you're talking seven days of nonstop going, you have to have some sort of assistance in that. And when you're covering that many miles. So um, I'm not sure what, if he has a plan moving forward with that is with adjusting it or not. Yeah. And we didn't have pacers either. You know, Justin kind of ended up becoming my crew chief and pacer, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but even then, and then not having the course marking, you know, that's even more reason that uh, a pacer, could be vital and, and helpful. So there's, yeah. there's definitely, it definitely was tough. <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> tough. Very tough. It would be interesting to see. I mean, with all of the struggles you guys had with the course and everything else, you're right. It'd be kind of interesting to see if somebody like, you know, like, like a Mike McKnight could, could do it to some degree, but it, it definitely changes the, and that's why I think, you know, these longer races, you know, like the, the, the triple crowns of like the, the strategy behind it all is the biggest thing. And if you can't run into the night, like, like, how does that, like, how much does that change your strategy? I think with these things, right. And that's, that's part of it is you can't do the 24 hours like you were wanting to do. You can't do a first 24 hour day to get started with. And so it kind of, I think it changes the strategy, but also changes your mentality of the thing. Like I can totally get why, why, how some people could probably go back and do the social thing because you're, you're stuck in this little section that you can't do it. And like, what else are you going to do? Like, okay, I can't run. I might as well just sit back and enjoy other runners and, and share stories. Right. So well, kinda, they could have, but they would have been an insane knucklehead like me and they would have been doing it <laughs> 0.75 down yeah. the other end of the campground and back or me and Justin, we went up to the road and went a mile down the road, mile back, went to the other side, mile down, mile down, yeah. three miles out, three miles back. And so that's not fun to do. You know, you're no. on an adventure. Yeah. And so I don't, <laughs> I totally understand why they probably looked at me like I was the craziest thing ever. Uh, <laughs> but I did what, and, and I could have went 24 hours, but I was pretty much kind of cutting myself off until the very end. Uh, I was going as much as I could until I think like 11, 1130 eating, passing out by midnight. And then I was up anywhere between three fifteen and like four until the till towards the end where I started needing more sleep and, uh, right. took it. Yeah. 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 I, I think, uh, I think a good admirable approach to it is, you know, we were looking for the toughest people to go out there and do it. Right. You were looking for mm-hmm. tough ultra runners to grind through everything. And it's regardless of the route. I think you give your most valiant, valiant effort at the route. And if you don't hit your miles for the day, then you segue to plan B and get the miles in whatever way possible you can. Um, and it seems like this way now is not the toughest runners because there's amazingly tough people out there. But now you're t- looking at the fastest runners. Like you're, you're asking to have a very fast runner to do it, not just tough. So yeah. 
you need to kind of segue the, you know, the field that you're looking for. I know personally speaking, I am not a fast runner. I will never be a fast runner. And this course doesn't require to be tough, just tough. It requires you to be extremely, extremely fast to do it in that given. So I think what would have been admirable is everybody going from, Hey, we gave the course the best shot. I'm going to go to at least 11 o'clock at night, getting the miles, whatever way I can to suffer together. Hector, you got what? Three, three Oh six. When it was all said and done. Yeah, roughly. And then Justin, what did you end up finishing with? Um, I left Hector at day just after day three was, I was like 146, and, um, then I just got miscellaneous miles up till about like 215. So yeah. walking with him took one full day, pretty much off, but I was still pretty much running around, getting him, getting everything in camp. And honestly, just trying to help everybody else out. Like I was mainly Hector's like, you know, pit crew there, but I just love helping everybody else. So if anybody else needed me, I want to help. I wanted to go do it. So that was like a really fun part about it. And then the next three days after that, were just, you know, more so pacing with him. Once my kind of staff died down again, once my foot stopped being so inflamed um, and I got some movement back in it, I, then I got back on course with him for bits and pieces. I had no, I was so focused. Like I, I think I sat down at a table one time to eat and when I did like kind of rest, it was literally like going straight into the tent and sleeping. So it sucked that Justin um, had his issues and pull had pull out early, but it I wouldn't have gotten to 306 if it wasn't for that because I would still be going while everyone was like having dinner and Justin would make sure that like something was put in foil or set aside for me or when I was coming through would hand it to me. He'd make sure my tent was set up. He'd, I'd just say things like, Hey, can you like, cause I was getting so loopy that when I did remember something, I'd say like, Hey, Justin, um, on this next one, can you make sure I grab my light, my battery package, charge and gloves. And then I'd come in and I totally forgot what I needed. And then I would say, hey, Justin, you know, what did I ask for earlier? Cause I can't remember. <laughs> and then he would rattle it off and he'd, which helped me be, you know, safe because maybe if I forget that a half mile now I'm freezing out there because I forgot my gloves in the moment. He did awesome and was a uh, clutch for me. And then, you know, at the end of the night, like he was, uh, again, I had the planner. So he was rubbing out my calves. He literally was rubbing out my feet. Like <laughs> he was making sure, um, I was just uh, it was like, literally like if I was a NASCAR. And so he was being like a, a, a pit crew in that way. And so, um, I think that's why I was able to get as far as I could. Cause I had him looking out for me with like that kind of stuff. And then when he could, he would jump with me, you know, if any time I was like down or sleepwalking or just not moving fast, he was like, come on, let's go. And then he'd go out there with me, even with his foot looking like a club and uh, his staff and, <laughs> you know, all that other stuff, he would suck it up and, uh, and, and go out there with me. So it was pretty, you know, awesome. And I was super appreciative of it. Oh yeah. It was fun. Is I, I expect my, I expressed my frustrations on day two. Uh, we came into the campsite and I was like, there's no food for us. Everybody's kind of, you know, popping bottles and having fun. And, you know, here we are walking up and down and we have to take out time to set up tents or, you know, it's like, I don't know. I think we're all here to give back and help everybody. I like yeah. Grant, not doing every mile with everybody, but I would, I would assume if I saw somebody out there grinding until the night, whether I'm friends with Hector or not, I'd be like, 
where's this guy sleeping? Like, where's his tent? And I'd go throw up his tent for him. Even if I didn't know him, if anybody yeah. did it, I'd want to help because I see like how hard they're pushing and I've been there and I respect that. I respect that grind and like how, how much he's suffering. So kind of once we did that, um, I was like, you know what, like this got changed. Like there's only, there's only one of us that's going to make this. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew it was. And the easiest thing about like being that pit crew was like, you don't have to give the guy motivational talks is what I like. I told him, I was like, man, like I had so many motivational things in my back pocket. Like <laughs> I had, I had his wife send a video of like his daughters giving a motivational speech. I'm like, bro, I didn't even have to send you. Like, I'm ready. But like, he was so like locked in. So that was the cool part is it was like kind of just an NASCAR race, like 4am I'd come knocking on his tent and be like, Hey man, you gotta get up. And then actually one morning, I think it was the last morning I went to his tent and he's deep into the cave at this point, I go over to his tent and he's got the thing zipped down, like the, the cover. And I walk over to it and I'm like, Hey boss, like time to go. <laughs> Look in, I'm like, boss, boss. And I'm like, I'm shaking the tent, like moving the sleeping bag. I'm like, fuck man. I lost him. I lost him. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I thought either like a bear took him or now he's hiding from me. He doesn't want to get up anymore. And so, yeah, man, it, it was a lot of fun. Like I think, you know, yeah. Can't beat it. Was there any point in time? Because uh, we've talked about this before. Is is uh, the trail naps are important along the around the route? But was there any was there any access to actually do anything like that, or did you feel like you needed to do that stuff because you were actually getting sleep at night? Did you feel like that was any part of the strategy of the of the day? Or yeah, I got the most sleep I've ever gotten in a challenge in this one. There, there's no doubt. Like uh, the two hundreds. Even what I was doing here was a luxury. So I definitely got the most sleep, but I still on, I remember it was day six or day seven. Uh, I really got super, no, it was day six. I think I got really like just loopy and I was just really tired and, uh, and it was too hot. I think I tried to take a nap in the tent. I could be wrong. And it was too hot. So then Justin pulled out like this little air mattress that we got at REI and then we found some shade next to the bathroom and he's like, well, the, the smell doesn't bother you. I was like, I don't give a shit. Like <laughs> anything right now, if there's shade and you could throw that mattress down, like I'm out. And so I think I, I think he gave me 15 minutes or uh, how long did, did I sleep there? 15 minutes? Uh, no, well, it's 15, but I gave you an extra two. Yeah. Nice guy. He gave me <laughs> 17 minutes. So that was the only nap I think I took outside of like, uh, you know, that. Yeah that, that yeah. the little few hours in the night the only reason it was 17 is because it took me two minutes to get my phone so i could film it yeah <laughs> yeah to put me on blast first yeah you do to put them on blast in that moment in that vulnerable moment i'm in um yeah, exactly yeah. i mean there are mornings where you know he'd set off at four in the morning and it is freezing like i'd follow him in my sleeping bag still covered up and he'd be like holding a cup of coffee and it, it got so cold in the morning like he had, like he had to go back and take a nap for an hour, but at least he was up on miles, you know. But it was yeah. free. Temperatures were wild. It would go from super hot in the day to just freezing, freezing at night. And uh, yeah, it wasn't easy to deal with that, let alone everything else. And I think the trail naps are hard because you can't really nap out there, you know, with wild animals. You don't really know. Yeah, you have somebody lurking over you. What's one of the most memorable things you guys are taking away from from the event? Good, 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 bad, whatever it is. Like what, what's one of the best things that you're walking away with? I'm, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot right now too. I, 
funniest part to me was the last day thinking I lost him. I was like, this guy ran for me. <laughs> I think that was probably one of the funniest ones for me was that. For me, I think it's just, uh, you know, the, 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 the challenge through curveballs to everybody. And I'm proud that even though it wasn't, you know, the conventional approach, they probably, everyone there probably thought I was nuts, probably thought it wasn't cool, you know, that I wasn't socializing as much or having a beer at the campsite or engaging as much as others, that I still stayed out there, did my best, even if it meant a two-mile loop or out and back to give my best effort the way I felt I could with it to be safe, to be on my own, to mm-hmm. stay near campsite for safety reasons and logistical uh, to, to a degree and to still be able to get over, you know, 300 miles in seven days. Um, I felt really proud and uh, thought it was insane and gnarly, but you know, uh, I felt good. I felt really good after, even though I know it wasn't a popular decision when I made it, but I've learned that sometimes when people think what you're doing is crazy or it's nuts or it's bananas or whatever, that that's, that means I'm doing the right thing. And, uh, I felt like that afterwards when I reflected on it, that could have been very easy for me to grab beers and socialize, Um, but that's not what this was pitched to me and it's not what it was. And, you know, I had somebody make a comment to me like, Hey, glad you're going to see Montana. And, you know, like, it's awesome that they got to see peaks and, you know, all that good stuff. And I probably saw the least coolness. You know, I did see some, I did get out there some, but I'll forever be able to say I hit 300 miles in seven days and, and, and did the best I could with a curveball thrown at me. So I'll take that as a win. Yeah, that was not it was 4 a.m. to about 11 every night, man, and not easy. Taking the opportunity to be invited again, would you guys go? No. No. no nope. <laughs> so, so, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard no. <laughs> I've I said it time and time again, I'm not a trail runner. I'm a road runner. <laughs> and that runner is very, very loosely put. <laughs> I don't think so. And definitely I would never do something like this again, that I don't have more control in the logistics in the crew, uh, in my like support team for myself, I I would make sure that I have that. So I have, uh, that confidence, that trust that way I'm not worrying about that kind of stuff. You know, like I said, Justin did a lot of that for me, but that was, you know, in an ad hoc way. So I don't think, I, I think I learned that, doing something like this that I would need more control or say, or would push for it, or I wouldn't do it. Uh, I mean, that's totally understandable. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about Hector really quick, and you referenced this prior uh, or in the early part of the conversation is I had a, a camera crew out there. So yeah. what, if you can talk about it, like what, yeah. what was being like, what's being filmed and like, what is the, project that you're working on with the film crew as far as them being out there with you so i'll kind of step back for a second and and, you know a lot uh like you and many others probably see like my headphones and house of rap music and justin running around you know room with a knife and bear spray (laughs) and all the shenanigans and all the knucklehead stuff 
But there are like, you know, two or three other sides to me where one, I am very business focused. I do invest a ton in real estate. Um, I do my best um, to give back similar like how we did with our Wolfpack Virtual Miles Challenge. So I know we haven't got a chance to talk, but anybody who's listening and was a part of that uh, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. That was amazing to do for the true triathlon. So like I do projects like that. And then like another passion project that I started is Wolfpack Media. My kind of like overall goal that I've learned for myself is I think it's rad and it's cool to test limits to give back, to support one another, showcase nature. And so we had a film team in the Triple Crown come out and capture that adventure. I've now seen the second draft of that film or, or that documentary, and I'm getting stoked because it's getting close to being done. All the interviews, uh, everybody who's a part of it is almost done. And then as my next, and so that was filmed last year. So my project for this year was uh, getting a film team to come you know, that whole story that I just mentioned, you know, can you get this, these middle of the pack, tenured veteran ultra runners, take them to Montana, you know, how put them on a tough course. How do they respond? Showcase the nature of Montana, you know, mm -hmm. see, can they do it? Can they endure it? So all of that, uh, I, I want that to be like, I, I would hope that people do not run away from hard things, do not run away from nature and that they see what we make and get inspired to do it. So we had a film team um, documenting it. We had Matt Van Horn and Tony Hill. Matt Van Horn made the Broken to Breaking documentary for Mike McKnight. So we got him on board. So hopefully here in a couple months, uh, they edit everything down and you guys can kind of see everything that we just talked about. Plus the beautiful scenery as montana's mountains uh trees rivers creeks it was amazing it was the most beautiful thing ever so i'm excited to have that project and then be able to share that with everybody nice man well i i uh want to take the opportunity to say thank you guys for for uh jumping on with me and and uh chatting about this and always always a good time uh talking with you guys so to have to have the opportunity to talk about what you guys just went through and and uh listen in on the stories is is fun so thank you for uh for sharing. Awesome. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, I'll let you go. It's been uh it's it's been a good one. And uh I'll, I'll be chatting with both of you real soon. Thanks, Chef. Awesome. The Trail Light Podcast presented by Solomon is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Stoner. Theme song provided by the poor dirty astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. You can rate, review, and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other place you stream your favorite podcasts. Thank you again, everybody, and we'll see you on the trails real soon.